Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Hey, um, you can you know, follow along with the Bible, and the beauty of the Bible is that you'll be able to see the context with an actual book in front of you or a device. Uh, but every word will be on the screen, <clears throat> and I will be dealing with every part of this text classic old guard sermon, you know, the way it should be, John Stott style, <laughs> maybe, probably not. Can I pray? Let me pray. Father, may we never have been found to have fallen from grace. Show us the freedom we have in Christ and how to resist those who would take it away from us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question, what do these six people hold in common? President Richard Nixon, cyclist Lance Armstrong, Harry Potter author J.K. Rawling, founding father Alexander Hamilton, television personality, I think it's in the domestic world, Martha Stewart, and for those who remember, the former Australian judge Marcus Einfeld on his way out of prison. <laughs> different times, different countries, different professions. What do these people hold in common? Anyone know? Yes, Malcolm. They rose to the top of their field and then they fell from grace. They have all at one time fallen from grace, at least that was what was said about them in the media. In other words, what they hold in common is that they were all, as Malcolm said, once held high in the esteem of others. It's such an interesting phrase, to fall from grace, and its origin is right here in our text in Galatians 5, verse 4. It's found nowhere else. It is a Bible original. But in its current usage in the media, it bears no resemblance to its origin. In fact, I believe it's the exact opposite. To fall from grace today 
refers to a loss of status, respect or prestige. You were once held in high esteem by those who matter. Now those who matter think you're garbage. Hero to zero in 60 seconds. Usually by a crime or some misconduct, a real one, as is the case with most of these characters, the four of them are held up for lying. Or some social one, as is the case with J.K. Rawling. Grace in the Bible is this, I once was blind, but now I see. Let me start again, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. To fall from grace in our society is, I once was found, but now I'm lost, was seen, but now I'm cancelled, considered persona non grata. Whenever I see the phrase in the media, I think of Inigo Montaya. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. So what does it mean to fall from grace? We'll come to that in a moment. This evening, Galatians 5, 1 to 13, 13 verses, Paul gets direct. He turns from thick Jewish arguments in chapters 3 and 4, thank you for your patience, to some pretty punchy and thoughtful conclusions in five, chapters 5 and 6, from grace amplified to grace applied. And it gets fun in uh, these 13 verses, Paul punches out a dozen or so perfect one-liners. In fact, they're so perfect and they're such one-liners, it was hard to put a thread through this entire sermon. I mean, there's warnings and challenges. But perhaps the most famous one-liner of all, from Paul, and maybe in the whole Bible, is chapter 5, verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Ouch. Today's text, 13 verses, and for a few weeks, we'll be parsing freedom. Rob began to do so last week, and you know that's true because of the bookends of our text today. In 5 verse 1, Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, as if that weren't somehow obvious. And the last passage of our text today, just read, he restates the proposition, you sisters, brothers, were called to be free. Then he adds to it. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh to do what you want. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, you know that whatever the freedom is that we're talking about, is something different from, I'm free to do whatever the hell I want, because, you know, I'm the man. It's not going to be that. It's going to be something else. So some pretty interesting stuff coming. And in our 13 verses today, Paul tells the Galatian young, new, Gentile Christians how to stand up to the bullies, the religious bullies, the, what Paul calls the agitators. And so one of the things we'll learn tonight is that those who are in Christ are given here resources to stand up to bullies. Now, there's specific context here, as you all know, so this is not a general handbook on beating bullies in the workplace. This message won't be rolled out in public schools in an anti-bullying program. But there are lessons here for each of us, certainly as, you, as if you wanted to stand up to religious bullies, control freaks, and they of course exist. Here is our outline, not printed today, but you can write notes if you like. 
Note that I'm dealing with verses 5 and 6 last, being new content, but my four points are the target of the bullies, verse 1, and the cost of giving in to the bullies in verses 2, 2 3, and 4. How to visualise these bullies in verses 7 through 12. There'll be some resources there. And then lastly, how to beat these bullies. Target of the bullies, cost of giving in, how to visualise and how to beat the bullies. So firstly, the target of the bullies, verse 1, is your freedom. They don't want you to be free. That's why Paul writes, it's for freedom and for no other reason that Christ has set us free. But you're going to need some clarity about that and some conviction and some courage. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke, a heaviness, heavy bar of slavery. Now, as I said, in Galatians, this means something specific to new Christians in South Galatia who aren't Jews, they're Gentiles. Paul says, I, Paul, tell you in 5 verse 2, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you, circumcision being a Jewish sign or marker that you belong to, the, belong to the people of God. Now, this, by the way, is the first time that Paul has said so boldly in the letter what the context is about. He's alluded to it. We've been filling in the content, but this is when Paul gets crystal clear. They are to live free from Jewish Torah, circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, food laws, kosher stuff. They're free to live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Oh, we are the people of God, with the freedom of hope in our hearts. How great is the love of the Father without the snip or kosher laws. But the agitators, the bullies, hate it. They haven't grasped the implications of the coming of Jesus for the world. The changes are too big for their small minds. They think they're teaching the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, they'd say, read the Bible, read those five books, and you'll know that you've got to be circumcised. They probably argue that the Torah brings freedom. After all, the Psalms say, we read one of those last week. And, you know, the context in South Galatia, they probably want to avoid Roman persecution, lots of destabilizing things going on. And they want to please the Jerusalem heavies, the theological heavyweights. And so they're desperate to get the Gentile new Christians circumcised. They haven't achieved it yet. Not there yet. Paul says in chapter 2 that freedom was their target all along. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks. They turned up the church to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and for you and I who sit in this room tonight. 5 verse 1 is an amazing verse. They have exasperation in them. For freedom that Christ has set us free, like you had the best thing ever, and you're in danger of throwing away. You are sinners, forgiven, slaves who are liberated. You've been taken to the heights. Now you're about to fall from grace. Christ removed the shackles, the chains. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. But we sing that next week. And yet, you want to put them back on. You want to put the shackles back on. We're using the organ next week. You, Christ got you out of the quicksand, but you want to jump back in the muck. 
He freed you from Egypt and you want to go back. He's liberated you for a purpose. The purpose is for freedom. <laughs> I love that. It's for freedom that Christ is... What are the alternatives? It's for slavery that Christ has set us free. Doesn't work. It's for drudgery. Christ has set us free. It's for rules and regulations. That Christ has set us free. Denominational politics. Maybe. <laughs> it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Raises so many questions, this verse. What is the freedom? How are you freed for freedom? Does it mean, as, as it has often been read in Western liberal societies like our own, does it mean simply the freedom of choice? You know, get off my back. Does it mean, as the Rolling Stones once sung, I'm free to do what I want any old time. If you're under 50, Google that. Spotify it. I think it's interesting that even in the Rolling Stones song, Snapdragons in the 1990s, so love me, hold me. Somehow none of us are free. Freedom is a universal value in the Western world. We love it. We want it. We cry for it. When we feel restricted in some way, many of us deep down want to be captain of our souls, resisting restraints. We want to choose. We get to choose who we are. No one else does. Everything else is an imposition. Someone... Um, you know, putting a yoke on me and I, that, uh, that choice of who I am must bubble up from within. I want to be the hero. I get to choose who I am despite anything that comes my way. And yet the truth is that none of us are free from constraints. We live in a physical world. Anybody who's aging or who's been sick knows this is true. We live in a natural world. It's hard to fight it. In the book of Proverbs, you don't fight it. Wisdom is to live in the groove of it, of creation. We exist in relationships that come with obligations. Anybody who's married knows this is true. We've got to work that come with certain expectations. You've got to turn up to work at 8.30 tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, 7.30, Bust your chops if you don't. We make decisions that come with lifelong Consequences, get a mortgage, boom, you've got to keep paying it off despite the interest rate rising. Quite frankly, anybody who has sex makes a decision in that moment that might come with a lifelong consequence. On one level, it's easier to argue that none of us are free rather than some of us are free. We certainly feel like slaves from time to time. Teenagers certainly do. I'm trying to raise three of them. One to come. Adults who must clean a house or earn an income or pay a mortgage certainly, certainly do. And uh, anyone with an, an addiction often feels like a slave. But the promise of Jesus is freedom. He famously said, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's got to mean something. Paul wrote, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can locate freedom where the presence of God is. So we're going to have to work out what this freedom is and what it means. Last week, Rob began to answer the question, what is the freedom in Galatians? And he answered it thus. had to Google that image. It is the freedom of sonship. 
the freedom of being a true child of God. It's so much, much more than mere freedom of choice. The freedom Christ has freed us for is the freedom of being a child of God, a son, meaning an heir, um, a slave who's been liberated. That's what it means to be a recipient of grace, not a hero with so much to lose, and when we do one thing wrong, we fall from grace. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Threaded through the book of Galatians is that we are engaged in a new exodus, a new liberation from, from, from an exile, from judgment. And so we are now children of God with the freedom of hope in our hearts, heirs of the kingdom of God. This is grace amplified. The target of the bullies is your freedom. Secondly, the cost then of giving in to the bullies is that you lose Christ. It matters, which is to say that you lose everything valuable, which, by the way, is the theme of our final song. Listen, look, look closely. Paul says, if you give in to the bullies, you become a slave again, you've fallen from grace. He says, mark my words. I want you to look at these three sentences. They say the same thing three times in exasperated ways. They're all one-liners, they're all dense, they're all classic. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, the men only, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's required to obey the whole law, not just a part of it. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. It really matters. Notice each time, if you do this, then that. Look up at the screen for a moment. The sections in yellow link the three verses. If you let yourselves be circumcised, it's the same thing as every man who lets himself be circumcised is related to trying to be justified by the law. Which, by the way, is what the bullies want. That you choose to be justified by the law. They want every man in South Galatia who's come to follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, to do what Abraham did, what all Jews did, what all Jews currently do. I lived in New York, and uh, we had Jewish neighbours. They were, I think they were atheists, really, or secular, but they got their boys circumcised, and they got themselves... I went to the bris with a little squeal, but, you know, he survived. And what the bullies believed, all Gentile new believers in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, should do. Paul calls this trying to be justified by Torah, making law the basis of your rightness with God and your inclusion into the family of Abraham. Paul says, if you do this, you've got your mind on yourself. You don't have your mind on Christ. If you do this, he writes, new links, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You're required to obey the whole law, not just a part of it, no ticking one bit off and saying, you know, look, I've done it, that's just a shibboleth, that's just, you know, you've done the thing they want you to do, you've just given in to the bullies. He writes, if you do this, you have been alienated from Christ, who is your life. You have fallen away from grace. So to fall from grace is to be alienated from Christ. It's not to be of great standing once yourself, but you did one thing, you know, where you fell off, off the perch and became persona non grata, on one level, to fall from grace is to always do the wrong thing. To be treated with grace from God through the finished work of Christ, to be lifted up 
to the heights, as we said, as Bronwyn said a moment ago, you know, raised with Christ in the heavenly places, and then to do the sort of backward thing that says that 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 takes away the thing that has been secured for you. It's to fall from grace is to be a slave who's been included into Christ's sonship that you can cry, Abba Father, and then to give it up. The opposite of our media, uh, media. That's the cost of giving into the bullies, is to fall from grace. Part of beating the bullies is to visualize them correctly or truthfully. This, by the way, is a um, resource for anybody who's been bullied in any context, which is to close your eyes and say, how how is everybody else visualizing the bully and how will I visualize them? Because it's pretty easy to do, right? The boss is so important, you know? I mean, she, he's so this and that. It's like, no, it's, it's, just, it's, just, a, it's just a man, right? And a, and a bully at that, right, to visualize it. Paul employs three bold images in verses 7 through 12 to help the Galatian Christians to see what's really going on. These bullies aren't sage heroes leading you to the true knowledge of God. There are people who cut in on a race. So the first image comes from the athletic arena. Verse 7, you were running a good race, trusting Christ, who cut in on you, bumped you off to keep you from obeying the truth. Visualize that. They weren't coaches running alongside you. That's what they want you to think. I'm here, I found, you know, we're running alongside. Let me tell you about the Christian race. Paul's right about grace and forgiveness, but, you know, read your Bible. Uh, you're going to need to be circumcised. Come on. It's, not, it's just a little healing. You need to visualize them this way. If the first image is about the athletic arena, the second's about the kitchen. Little yeast works with a whole batch of dough. In verse 8, Paul writes, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you, the one who called you is Jesus Christ, and he called you to be free. The sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And Paul says, a little yeast works with a whole batch of dough. And you know how yeast works? Cup, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really, but I get the point, right? A little, few of those, I don't know what you call them, yeast, just a tiny bit in a batch of dough will work its way through the whole dough and make the whole thing rise. You can't put a little bit of yeast into dough and sequester it off and say, this bit's rising and that is not rising. Whole bit is affected. When I hear this, I like to think of the, those of you who, went, who finished school in the 1970s and 80s. And uh, if your school had a swimming pool, someone invariably put Condi's crystals. Remember them? Condi's crystals into the pool. There was no way you could put the Condi's crystals into the pool and not have the whole pool end up pink and, je and jelly-like. It just got, in, got into the motor. It got everywhere. And these guys are saying, look, it's not hard, but it helps with the Romans. It helps with headquarters. Just, you know, line up, organize the procedure. Paul says, it ruins the whole thing. Paul is using the image Jesus used of the Pharisees. That was in our first reading that Emma read to us. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You think circumcision is small, but this is a game, really. It's like yeast, it ruins the whole gospel and your communities too. You'll see that in the coming weeks. 
athletics field, the kitchen, and lastly, the courtroom. Here in verse, verse 10, the bullies are on trial. Paul is the lawyer appealing to the jury. The jury are the young Galatian Christians, the readers of the letter. And you and I, as we listen in, Verse 10, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The inference here is that the, the Gentiles have not booked the procedure. They've yet to get the snip. It's on a knife edge, so to speak. Could go either way. He's writing this letter. The one who is throwing you into confusion. There are bullies, but maybe there's one leader of them. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. They're trying to persuade you to their side. They want you to be zealous for them. It's a control thing in the end. But God sees it. In the end, they'll pay the penalty. God will judge them. I love it. I, I'm both... I love what Jesus says in, uh, in that first reading. And, and I'm gobsmacked by it when he says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. How good is that in a world that currently wants almost everything held to account? God sees it all. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the year in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, I read that verse like that from Jesus, and I get nervous about all those things that are done in secret. But Jesus goes on and says, you're loved. You know, God knows the hairs on your head. You're worth more than sparrows. The cross of Jesus Christ means that you're free from condemnation. But Paul's, God sees what these bullies are doing, and he'll, he'll, he'll judge them. Having finished with these three images, in verse 7, he says, Sisters, brothers, if I'm still, being, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being still persecuted. There's something about my preaching of grace that means that I get persecuted. In that case, the offense, the scandal of the cross has been abolished. We've been talking about mirror readings where you're like, what's the other side saying? A mirror reading of this text would say that the agitators, the bullies are trying to get Paul on their side. They're verbally enlisting Paul for their defense. Come on, man. Paul would agree with us. He's a Jew, a former Pharisee. He would think exactly like us. You know, do, you know, Paul would say, get circumcised. Paul says, no way. He refutes it. The Messiah changed my life in a flash. And so I now preach grace and nothing else. And everyone seems to hate it. The Romans don't get it. They think it's destabilizing. The Jews think I'm disobeying the Bible, disobeying God. And modern Western liberals think, what are you saying about me when you preach grace? Are you saying that I'm not the hero I think I am? That I'm loved because of grace? Not just because I'm good? The scandal of the cross is simple. The rescue that you enjoy, it's all free. It sets you free, and it's for the sake of freedom. And so in exasperation, and not without a little bit of irony, since we're talking about a snip, he says, as for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Visualize that. Actually, don't, don't visualize it. Assuming the Galatians are now visualizing the bullies with the truth and therefore with a resource to, to, and clarity to re reject the sort of religious control freaks, now that the arguments of the bullies are naked and cut to shreds, so to speak, 
Paul tells them how to then beat the bullies. Back to verses 5 and 6. And the simple answer is, show them how godly freedom works as we lean into next week's message. Freedom is not, I'm free to do what I want any old time. Freedom instead is to be a son of God, a daughter of God, following the one who liberated, who saved, who redeemed you. And it comes with gospel fuel in the presence of God and humble service of others. You, my sisters and brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to do whatever the hell you want. Rather, use your freedom, choose now in the Spirit, in the power of God, to serve one another humbly in love. But I'm leaning into next week's message. I've left two verses out, verse 5 and verse 6, and they are at the heart of beating the bullies. In verse 5, show them a new motivation, not through the pressure of the bullies, I gain acceptance, but through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith, not by Torah, the righteousness for which we hope. This is my new motivation. You aren't concerned about the here and now. You're not fearing the agitators. You're fearing the one who could send you to hell but loves you anyway, counts the heritage that saved you. You aren't fueled by seeking the approval of head office. You have a future hope fueled by the Spirit of God. This is how Christ is of value to you. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. God's future acceptance is what counts. And so I can hang loose to the bullies now, not be pressured by them, and have a peace. I eagerly await the approval of God. There's a new motivation. And secondly, you have the right priority or mind. You have clarity. You know what matters and what doesn't matter. What doesn't matter is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. They don't have any value. In fact, they have so little value that it doesn't matter if you do it. Some boys get circumcised now, some, boy, some don't. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a question for you and your doctor and health. Not a religious question as it was in Paul's day. It doesn't matter, circumcision or uncircumcision. So Paul had Timothy circumcised for the sake of mission in Acts chapter 16. But as soon as someone says you have to, as soon as you bully it into it, Paul will oppose it. Make it a rule that Christ doesn't have. Place a burden that Christ has lifted. Forget it. Not interested. You lose the gospel. And you've picked out what does matter. The only thing that counts, the one thing that counts, is faith with legs. Trust in Christ, expressing itself through love. Faith that has feet on the ground with love. That's what counts. Not the ins and outs of law-keeping. And it will come in fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that God grows inside of you over time. That's how fruit grows. I'm leaning into next week. We are to live free lives. That's what you want. But that's all ahead of us next week. Let's pray. Father, each of us know that we have constraints in life. We have... Uh, Relationships that we've committed ourselves to, mortgages that have to be paid, bosses that have to be um, 
attended to, work that we have to turn up to, decisions that we made that are complex. And we live in the physical world, and some of us um, know that we're not free from immediately from the diagnosis we've received or the aging we feel. We live in the natural world, the world that you've created, and to pretend otherwise is, uh, is foolish. And yet Jesus said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You've given us something internal from outside of ourselves. Doesn't, we don't muster it up from within. You've taken off the chains. You've liberated our hearts. You've given us a confidence we don't even deserve. You've placed us on the heights. You've raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. May we never fall from such a height. May we never fall from grace. We beg you for this privilege. In Christ's name, amen.